we stayed in touch through uh, our video conferencing, phones, emails, uh, that never stopped. There was not a, a pause. The organization may have paused from the norm, but our connection and our relationships and our outreach to our patients, our community, my peers outside of ProLine Surgeons, that never stopped. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. In our continuing series, What's Next?, we explore what the future holds after the disruption of the COVID pandemic. I'm especially excited to talk to our guest today. Not only does he hail from Seattle, one of the initial cities impacted by the outbreak, he is CIO of one of the largest surgical practices in the United States, ProLiance Surgeons. This is your host, Jeff Tun, and our guest today is Kurt Kwok. Welcome to the show, Kurt. Uh, thank you, Jeff, for that introduction, and I'm very happy to be online with you. Kurt, before we dive in, I think our audience would love to hear a bit about your background. Can you tell us your journey and what led you to the CIO role there at ProLiance? Yeah, my, my background goes way back to the early 90s, actually, right out of school, uh, University of Washington. I, I joined a startup in the wireless and telecom industry. And I moved around a couple of times to uh, become part of uh, what is today T-Mobile. Okay. It used to be called Western Wireless at the time. So I was in technology and telecom for about nine years before I migrated into the healthcare industry, which was back in 2006. I started off with a large healthcare system called Providence Health and Services. And I quickly became the regional CIO for Washington, Washington region. And then I did that for about six years before I moved on to a government agency to help establish our state of Washington health benefit exchange. That's the insurance exchange that was prompted by uh, President Obama's quote unquote Obamacare. So that was a great, great experience for me. So I was the CIO for, for a couple of years doing that. And then I decided to move back home because that was out in Olympia and I had this long commute. So I started to I started to long for the shorter commutes. Mm-hmm. So so I looked to look come back to the Seattle area. And fortunately, ProLiance Surgeons at the time was looking for a CIO. So I was very happy to join this up and coming organization that was quickly becoming nation's largest surgical practice, uh, mostly on the orthopedic side. So I've been a CIO for ProLiance Surgeons for a good seven years now. So I guess if you break it down, I've been a healthcare CIO for 14 years now. And prior to that, I was in the uh, telecommunications and technology industry. Now, when you started out, were you on the application side, development, programming, that kind of thing? Or were you on the infrastructure side? I was. I started my career on the infrastructure side. So uh, network, telecom networks, data networks, um, hardware connecting the networks. And then uh, my responsibilities expanded to include application support, uh, NOC, integrations, uh, interfacing, uh, 
which was all good toward uh, me eventually becoming a CIO for an organization yeah. like today. Yeah, you started to get the exposure across all the disciplines at some point. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So I've got to ask about something in your educational background that I saw on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. The FBI Citizens Academy, Seattle Division. Now, as a cop show junkie, that <laughs> sounds pretty cool. So what is that? And, and then, if you don't mind, just what's your biggest takeaway from attending the, the academy? Oh, my gosh. That was such a great experience. I would highly recommend it, although it's very difficult to get in. In fact, I, I don't even know how I even got introduced and got into it. But it requires somebody, an alumni, to make a formal referral to the FBI uh, office in Seattle mm -hmm. for you to even be considered. And they go through the, the gamut. Uh, background checks, criminal uh, history, and all of that before you are even admitted. So it w literally was a two-month or so process for oh, you wow. to even, you know, step your foot in the door. And I didn't even know we had a Seattle branch because it's not branded or it's not even, there's no signage, right? Just a normal building with nothing. So, so once you get admitted, you go through all this stuff and you get to meet uh, 45 people in the Seattle area that also went through the same thing. There's some of the great, some of the nicest people I ever met, some of the leaders in technology, in their um, industry, just all sorts of background. And uh, you got to also work side by side with uh, specific FBI agents as part of this process. So it was a good nine week course, they call it. And you got to work with agents directly. You got to work with the special agent in charge, who's basically the superior of that branch. And it was interesting because that's also when the President Donald Trump came into the office and there was that whole booha with him and the national uh, yeah. special agent in charge or the director of FBI, if you remember. Right. And we were hearing a lot of perspectives on that. But I think the biggest takeaway for me through that nine-week course or nine-week uh, engagement with the Seattle-based uh, FBI was all the uh, perceptions we have about the FBI was totally thrown out the window. In fact, that they make it clear to us that, you know, your neighbor could be an FBI agent and you wouldn't know it because their mode is to lock in your trust, mm -hmm. make them trust you and make them believe in you so that they'll cooperate with you when there's an investigation. Hmm. So they kind of get themselves embedded in, a, in the community so everybody knows who you are and trusts you. And they say that's the best way to actually uh, mine and dig information. So that's, a, that's one thing. And also some of the bigger things that they work on uh, are some of the things that we don't even think about. So, you know, you hear stories about identity theft and robberies and yeah. and things that they work with the cia and things like that but some of the things that you don't even know that's happening under your nose is like uh human trafficking as an example or or a prostitution ring yeah. in seattle which i didn't even know happens are some of the bigger cases they're actually actively working on now they wouldn't get into the details obviously because of sensitivity right. and the people involved because a lot of people work undercover uh, but yeah, that really surprised me. And the last day of the class was the coolest part, if you are ever in it, uh -huh. is that they kind of invite you to their shooting range in a very indiscreet uh, location. Uh -huh. In fact, I couldn't tell you where it was because I just followed the direction to go. 
and you have to go through gates to even get in. But once you're in, you got access to all the weapons that these guys use. <laughs> I don't know if they ever shot a Tommy a machine gun. Wow. That yeah. Was pretty- I bet that was pretty cool. So was there something from that experience that you've been able to use as CIO, a learning of how to interact with people? Was there any of that that carried over? Yeah, I mean, it's not about deception. Rather, it's about building relationships and trust between people. So that's one of the things that I got out of. Mm-hmm. And and also, we did cover things that were very pertinent to what I do, which is cybersecurity. Oh, yeah. What they look for, what they do to mitigate and troubleshoot. And some of the best practices that they actually share across the entire FBI network as well as their uh, as well as their local communities in what to look out for how to mitigate and how to even report things properly and also another thing about this uh, citizens academy is once you graduate you do become part of a community uh, member of the fbi uh, community i just say mm-hmm. so they kind of ask you to be the eyes and the ears for the FBI. So if we see anything or if we detect anything or or if we are suspicious about something, they ask you to, now that you're a part of this uh, community, please don't feel, feel free. I should say, feel free to reach out to the Seattle-based FBI anytime. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you build those relationships and that helps. So, yeah. so Kurt, thank you for indulging my, uh, my cop show addiction here a little bit to, to talk a little bit about that. I, I just thought that was fascinating. And I like how you have connected some of those lessons into the role of the CIO. So let's pivot to the pandemic. Yeah. I think to understand what's next, I think we have to look at what happened. What were you and your peers doing and planning to do when you first saw the pandemic on the horizon, uh, probably the first part of 2020? Yeah, my goodness, that feels like so far ago. Doesn't it, though? It feels like forever. And I can't believe uh, how much time has gone since. I mean, we knew something was happening, but like everybody in this country, we thought it was happening in overseas. Yeah. Uh, And even when our first case uh, occurred in Everett, that one individual who came back from, I believe it was China, Mm -hmm. who was admitted to the Everett Memorial Hospital, or COVID-19 symptoms, we still thought, well, it's one case, you know, that person is being treated and he'll be isolated, so we're gonna be okay. And then the thing in Kirkland hit when the uh, nursing home in Kirkland started to have all these cases and you started to see these uh, senior citizens passing away. That really alarmed us because we have many of our associates associated with the hospital. And when we started to hear that even healthy people and and a, a physician actually got infected and what was happening to them, that started to alarm us. Um, but at the same time, it wasn't hitting us directly. So we were cautious, but we were still doing what we were supposed to do, yeah. uh, which was our day-to-day operations. And this was back in February of this year, right? right. So it wasn't until March when it started to really blow up when we started to see things in other states, when we started to see things in Spain and Italy, that's when our alert flag went up really quickly. And then when things uh, around PPE started to come about, 
that's when we knew it was re- very serious. And our governor, uh, Governor Inslee, is starting to throw out mandates and and his uh, you know rulings on what we need to do and what what not. Uh, those things really hit us pretty directly. Yeah. And when the elective surgeries got uh, put on hold in middle of March, that's when it really hit home that this wasn't something we could take lightly. Although we weren't taking it lightly and we were having a lot of internal conversations, but that's when it really hit us that, boy, we're, this is going to impact us pretty Yeah, this pretty is big. different. Man. This is different so, than before. Yeah. Yeah. So something we haven't seen before and something uh, that we needed to really live by moving forward. So that's when we all got together and we needed to decide uh, what steps we needed to take, including how to change the way we approach our patients, how do we approach our employees, how this organization's model would change because of this. Uh, There were talks of, uh, you know, what kind of negative impact will this have on the organization, organization as a whole and what we needed to do to really survive through this. And the technology things like, okay, we need to think about how to implement telehealth to to get through all this, to continue to take care of our patients. Uh, We needed to think about how the remote workers and the remote working models would need to be established for pro-lion surgeons because we're generally in-prem, hands-on support organization. Mm -hmm. So this was something new from a cultural perspective that we needed to adopt. And also how to write out the uh, revenue impact that this is going to have on us because we were seeing cancellations and and when Governor Inslee actually um, had the ruling about you know holding off on all elective surgeries that really mm-hmm. hit us hard yeah. and we needed to adjust and write that out so it wasn't until about uh, early May when we started to reopen the doors and and while that was happening yeah it was a tough time for all of us not only the leadership but the employees who had to go through this you know not only them having to go through the standby or the furloughs that we had to, you know, go through. But watching the news was really, really hard because there yeah. wasn't anything positive. Um, you know, we were seeing things about the unemployment. We were seeing things about the economy. We were seeing the horrific numbers continue to climb uh, on COVID cases. Uh, yeah, it was hard. It was yeah. hard. It, yeah. It's hard now. But man, those days when we didn't know too much about this and we didn't know, you know, what was really happening. Yeah. It was a, definitely an interesting time we, we had to go through. Yeah. Hard to keep your focus. I, I know when you and I first spoke several weeks ago, I shared a little bit about my background as a CIO for a, a nonprofit. And we had invested very heavily in business continuity and disaster recovery because our CEO was was always saying if there was a disaster and we weren't there to help our community, mm. we weren't doing our job. So as the scale of the pandemic began to reveal itself, what responsibility to the community did ProLiance start to feel? Well, our, our surgeons never lost that, that connection to the community, at least from my lens. Mm-hmm. Although their workload may have uh, decreased because the direct uh, surgical appointments were down pretty significantly, but they were still tied to the community that their clinics were in. And also they were, they're also affiliated with a lot of the hospitals around the region. So they always had that connectivity back and they always gave back. If it meant, uh, you know, being available for a quick telehealth 
session with the patient as an example, or, or assisting a peer physician at a hospital as an example, and also offering up our facilities for uh, treatment of the overflow patients from the hospitals because they were obviously overloaded with COVID patients. We did all of that to help our community and be and continue to be in the community. And uh, frankly, one of our uh, our chairman of the board and, and one of our uh, top surgeons actually wrote a white paper on how to manage during the COVID-19 pandemic. This occurred in late March, actually. That, and that white paper was shared with a lot of folks, including the, the state government agencies. And uh, not only that, one of our surgeons also took on the role of uh, promoting how to treat COVID-19 patients who had... Uh, hard of hearing conditions, as an example, oh, those folks yeah. who had handicaps. Yeah. So as an example, if a hard of hearing patient comes into a facility and the providers are wearing masks, they can't read the lips, as an example. So how do you go about accommodating these folks who have uh, needs based on their physical conditions? So, so he was promoting that, and uh, I was fortunate to be able to provide some technical support in promoting those services via uh, Zoom webcast or other f- other avenues to get the news out. In fact, one of the webinars that he was promoting actually had over 1,500 registrants. Oh, wow. All across the country and yeah. even around the world. And, and I was very fortunate to be part of that. Uh, and, and knowing that how valuable our surgeons are, and not only that, not only are they doing things for pro-line surgeons, but for their communities and beyond. Yeah. It was pretty impressive to experience all of that. So one of the challenges that we all experience as leaders, and sometimes I think CIOs, especially given the nature of our jobs, is connecting our teams with the mission of the organization and and what it is that we're ultimately doing, the, the end customer or in your case the end patient so to speak so how were you able to convey that feeling of responsibility that proliance felt to the community to your it team so that Mm -hmm. they could engage in supporting some of these initiatives one of our um, vision statements here at proliance surgeons is uh, excellent surgical and clinical care for every patient every day and underneath that, we have employee-oriented, physician-driven, and community-integrated. The key words in that is employee-oriented, physician-driven as leadership, and integrated within the community, right? So I, I think we did a great job staying connected throughout the pandemic, whether we had reduced a uh, number of cases mm-hmm. or whether we were working remotely exclusively. We stayed in touch through... Uh, our video conferencing, phones, emails, uh, that never stopped. There was not a a pause. The organization may have paused from the norm, but our connection and our relationships and our outreach to our patients, our community, my peers outside of ProLine Surgeons, that never stopped. We kept talking. We kept exchanging information. We kept uh, exchanging ideas. We kept people engaged. And I, I think that was the key because it was at a time, at that time, it was so easy for someone to be so isolated because right. you weren't really seeing anybody. And and some had families to fall back on, but many didn't even have that. And 
social isolation was real, even for me. You know, there were times where I felt a little isolated because you could only do so much over, you know, your video conferencing and your technology. But we made an effort to stay actively connected, had conversations on a daily basis. We had uh, recurring board meetings that occurred recurringly as well. So things became a little more predictable and we wrote it out. And uh, after end of all that, I think we became actually even more cohesive and more culturally connected in this organization. Mm -hmm. And uh, we also uh, actively saw a lot of sacrifices from a lot of the leadership. So our our surgeons uh, made the biggest sacrifice by uh, not taking any pay home during this, Mm -hmm. and they still are sacrificing. The leadership, executive leadership team actually uh, volunteered to take a large pay cut to ride this thing out during the pandemic. But uh, I think the ultimate sacrifice came from the employees who were on the, uh, what the state called standby. So we were able to compensate them on the benefits, but they weren't taking any pay home. So they had to rely on state unemployment and other benefits to ride this through. So, So the employees took a big hit and they took the big sacrifice, but it's because of all those efforts were actually back to where, you know, we had hoped by this time. And I don't think we'll ever be 100% of where we were, uh, but we're in much better state now than we were just even two months ago, I would say. Well, I think it is a testament to your leadership, the leadership uh, across ProLiance that it sounds like you were able to be in it together right that everybody was was trying to do what they could not only for the community but for uh, the the long-term viability of ProLiant. so i know when you dreamed about uh, the year 2020 way back in 2019 and and you and your team had a vision for what this year was going to bring yeah that all changed so how did this impact your plans for 2020 well, obviously, significant uh, changes. Um, uh, we had a new CEO who joined uh, this organization early last year. So we had a nice ramp up going into 2020, and we had grand plans to transform this organization. And we're still making those efforts today. But, of course, we had the pause, and, and we had a lot of things that we had deferred that needed to come back to life. Mm-hmm. And, and some of the things that we had planned kind of fell behind that because some of those important things were critical in keeping this organization going. Right. Um, and not that technology initiatives weren't important, but they kind of fell behind when you were competing with uh, things that were revenue generating and their employee based. Yeah. So, so that was okay. Uh, but we're slowly getting those things back on track. Uh, our, our guys are working harder than ever to, try to get everything back on track. Our CEO has been providing great leadership throughout this, uh, great communication, showing great empathy, as well as sympathy to those who are suffering through all of this. And a lot of the executive team around our CEO has been rallying uh, together as a team to show uh, unity across the leadership team. And I I think that's the key, uh, that the employees can look at this uh, leadership team and their unity and believe that we're going to get through this because of that unity. So, yeah, I would say it's 
a little behind, but we're working really, really hard to try to get everything back on track. Back on track, yeah. So, Kurt, crystal ball time. Yeah. Um, I've got kind of a three-part question for you. What does the future look like for the community, for ProLiance, and for the ProLiance IT team? What's the future look like? Well, I think culturally we're stronger because we went through what we did. And that's going to be a nice foundation going into the rest of 2020 and into 2021. Um, we are discussing this hybrid model where we'll have employees on the ground, but there will be opportunities for employees to perhaps be a little more remote than before. We really don't know what that really looked like yet because we're discussing it. Because uh, in ProLine Surgeons, like a lot of the hospitals, you can't work remotely. You have to be there for the patients and you have to be there for each other physically to work. So so that's an active discussion that we're having. Uh, I think also our vendors and our vendor partners also have transformed through this. Their approach has changed. Um, cost models also have changed. There's a lot of uh, subscriptions and cost deferrals and and also uh, lease models that are offering more and more. So we could get into things a lot easier yeah. than before because you're not requiring a large cost up front. So I think that's also going to change in the way we get into certain technology opportunities. And I think also the way we are better prepared for anything coming at us in the future. Uh, this kind of happened out of nowhere, it feels like, but we've handled it. So I think we're a lot more rooted to handle anything else that may come our way as an organization. So I, I guess, you know, kind of all over the place, I, I think, but I think those are the critical points we yeah, need to, yeah. want to, to be prepared for anything coming our way. Well, and, and you mentioned kind of my favorite word for 2020, which is culture and the struggle that some organizations have had. Uh, during this time to maintain their culture. So how are you enabling your team and your culture as you start looking at this hybrid world of on-site and remote work and maintaining the culture that is so important to ProLiance? I still think this connection is important. Uh, there are some folks asking, you know, this job doesn't really require me to be on-prem. Why do I have to come out? And that's when you have to kind of remind them that it's not just about the job. It's about maintaining this culture of connectivity mm -hmm. and connection via uh, video conferencing is so different than actually you being there in person with social distancing, of course, yeah, yeah. so that they know you're there for you and you feel their presence and all of that. Uh, presence over video conferencing is nothing compared to what you can experience physically, right? So even, in, even at a limited capacity, we will request folks to come in and be there for each other to maintain this culture. And I think that's just going to be how we're going to do it the rest of the year. And we'll kind of rehash that out for 2021, I'm sure. Yeah, and see see how things are going. And so I would assume in this hybrid model, it's not, um, someone's not going to be 100% work from home or 100% or remote. You're going to kind of shift between the two worlds. Do I understand that correctly? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, we can't say anything's uh, definitive right now, but yeah, yeah we, it's a work in progress and we'll eventually find the right model 
for this organization. So Kurt, as I warned you, I love to wrap up with a final question. Yes. Uh, And that question is, what are one or two things our listeners should do tomorrow because they listen to us today? Mm. Well, number one thing is uh, never doubt yourself and your peers. That's a very easy thing for for anyone to do at, at a time like this. Because when the, the screen turns off, you're done with your video conferencing and your door is still closed behind you in your home office, you will feel very isolated and some tough thoughts will go through your mind. So, so you got to fight that and never doubt that there are people out there who are in the same situation and who are there to help you. So that's one. And that's more of a self thing. And then two is there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, we are hearing some good things about, uh, you know, how people are dealing with this. I don't want to get into any vaccines or anything medical at this point, but there is progress being made. Yeah. And then like anything, it's about your perspective, right? Somebody just shared this story about if you were born in 19, 1900s, as an example, you would have gone through World War One, the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. And World War II, and in midst of that, you also had the Spanish flu back in the 1910s. Right. And you all lived through that, or they did, I should say. Yeah. So yeah. if this pandemic dwells on you, you got to recheck your perspective and think about what other people went through. And you have to believe that things are going to be better. Yeah. So, so I would just say, just keep reminding yourself of that. Because we're, again, we're all in this together. You're not the only one. And I think that's an important message to, to hold on to. I love that perspective, you know, a little bit of self-care uh, to make sure that you're not really feeling the weight of that isolation, uh, but then also the, the realization that we are all in this together. You're not going through it alone, and there is light at the end of the tunnel. I think that is great perspective, Kurt. I would love to uh, continue our conversation, but we are running out of time here. So I want to thank you. I always enjoy our conversations. It seems like we just get started and the time flies by. I I enjoy uh, interacting with you and having these conversations kind of peer-to-peer, CIO to CIO. I think it's fantastic, Kurt. So thank you very much for your time. It was my pleasure, Jeff. I had a great time. And if there's anything else I could provide, please reach out anytime. Thank you well, again. I am sure we will invite you back for additional conversations as we as we roll into 2021. So thank you. All right. Thank you. To our listeners, if you have a question or want to learn more, visit intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information. This is Jeff Tun for Kurt Kwok. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.